Father, thank you for those you brought here tonight who um, have interest in, in hearing from you as you speak to us in your word. Uh, would you, Lord, give us understanding of your word by your spirit, uh, by uh, the renewed minds that you've given us and the, um, the spiritual insight that you've given to us as your as your children, uh, would you help us to understand? Would you help us, God, also to apply uh, tonight, especially just um, the call to holiness, the call to obedience in our lives? Uh, we want to follow wherever your word leads us, and so I pray that that would be true tonight. Amen. 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 Before, uh, before we look at First Peter, if you have a Bible, you can turn to First Peter. Um, I've noticed, um, I don't know if any of you all have seen anything uh, similar the, as to what I've seen with uh, Christianity, and that's a trend, I don't know if it's a trend, but a, a tendency, I guess, of Christians in postmodern America, at least, what I'm living in. Um, under the misconception that our freedom in Christ that we read about in Scripture means that we can live however we want, or that we can just take it easy on obedience, that we don't have to be too strict, but we're, we're free, right? So we, can, we don't have to follow uh, exactly what we read in Scripture. And I think part of it is just is, is postmodernism. It's the, the culture that we live in. Uh, that kind of says we can't be too sure of truth, so if we want to err on any side, let's just err on. It's okay to, to live this way because we don't want to be like the kind of pharisaical modern church that just says, no, it's black and white, everything, you have to do this or that. And so we're on like this red alert for, for legalism, I think. And because of that, I see Christians, we, we saw this in Nashville, we've seen this in L.A., but we, we'll see Christians who are kind of just caving in or, or, or going light on obedience to the scriptures, just saying, well, it's okay, I'm, I'm saved and I don't want to be too dogmatic on anything. They're caving into the world's standards and sometimes even doing it, I've heard even as like under the guise of evangelism, well, um, Paul says, I've become all things to all people so that in any way possible I might save some, he says. But I think that is a, a I know that's a, a gross misrepresentation of what Paul's saying because Paul in that first Corinthians passage is not saying I become all things to all people so now I get to just take license and do some things that aren't okay by Christ I, I don't get to just have extra um, license to do what I want but Paul in the context of that chapter he's talking about giving up rights that he has as a believer. I could do this. I could live this way. I could eat this way. I could marry. I could take a salary. All these different things. But he says, but for the sake of the gospel, I'm withholding from those things. So it's not like, a, oh, now I get to do this in order to enter into this evangelistic thing. But it's, I'm going to give up some of what I could rightfully take as my own for the sake of that. So um, Paul didn't participate in the sin of people uh, when he was becoming all things to all people. In fact, it says he, he became as, as not under the law to those who are not under the law, but he was still under the law of Christ. He wasn't, he wasn't transgressing in what he was doing. Um, 
But for some reason, and, and I've felt this in little ways before, so I can't condemn uh, people, but we, we think for some reason if I, if, if I don't come across as too by the book or too obedient, then maybe I'll have more of an inroads, maybe they'll actually listen to what I'm saying. Um, Mary Beth and I, two years ago, we wrote this song called Don't Say Jesus that's like um, just the, it expresses kind of the goofiness of, of saying, of like a Christian saying to the world, hey, I'm going to live just like you. There's really nothing different about us. The only thing is I, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, and I follow him. But that's, that's, that's I, I'm really no different than you. I can do just what you do. You can do just what I do. And together we can just have eternity together, and it's going to be great. And just the, the foolishness of that. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Um, and that involves some kind of lifestyle. Mm. And so this passage tonight that we're looking at, it's starting in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verses 13 through, we're going to go through about 19. Um, it, it's about obedience and holiness, and it should be, I hope it's a stark contrast to what I was just describing about, hey, it's okay just to kind of take it easy and, and live a little bit how you want to live. Um, but this passage is going to say we are to live a certain way now. Our lives now matter. To those who have been born again, we are called to be holy. So um, last week, Randy shared about um, the future hope that we have as believers in Jesus. We look forward to uh, where this is all heading. We look forward to an inheritance that's guarded for us, a future salvation that be that will come to us at the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, at his return, a little bit about the, the mystery and the beauty of, of, um, of this salvation that we have that the prophets spoke about a long time ago, and now we have the really privileged knowledge of being able to, uh, to have a hope in a more certain way, because we look back on the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ kind of as, as some of our confidence and our looking forward uh, to the return of Christ and to our salvation that comes then. And then a couple weeks ago, um, I don't know if you remember kind of that theme verse we were coming back to in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So let those who suffer according to God's will, we're going to get there kind of in a couple weeks, some more details about suffering, entrust their souls to a faithful creator, which God is proven to be and he's promised to be while doing good. So tonight we're going to talk through some of that while doing good, and that's what the next couple weeks are going to look like. Uh, we're talking about an obedient lifestyle, and specifically, what's the motivation behind our obedience to Christ or our holiness? What's the motivation behind that? A few weeks from now, we're going to look at what is some of what that accomplishes when we live as God has called us to live, as Peter describes in the book what that accomplishes in the world, but tonight is a little bit more just some of the motivation behind why we uh, choose to obey Christ. So um, I'm going to give you six things. Peter doesn't say, here's six things about why you should obey, but uh, just to kind of help look through the passage a little bit. Um, you might have asked the question before, do I obey God or should I obey God because I want to or because I have to, or because I ought to, and I've wrestled with that. I said, "Well, I don't want to. I want to serve God if it's just well, I have to do this, so that's so I'm going to serve Him." Or, uh, some, but sometimes you don't feel you don't you don't want to. So do you? You know, which, which is it? Do we, do we obey Him because we want to, or because we have to? And we'll uh, find some answers, I think, to that question in particular. So let me just read 
First uh, Peter 1, 13 through 19 says this, therefore, or in, in light of what we learned last week about the revelation of Jesus Christ, the salvation that comes, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's kind of the transition verse. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. So, verse 13, kind of a, a, a transition, talking about the, the hope that's to come of the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says a couple things. Preparing your minds for action is one that he says. Preparing your minds for action is like a, a literal interpretation of, of that is girding up the loins of your mind. Now, you might not know girding up the loins of your mind. What's girding your loins mean? Uh, back, some of you do, in the ancient Near East, um, you know, people would have these longer robes on, and to gird up your loins was to mean you're you're getting ready to, to do something or go somewhere or be active. So you pick up your robe and you kind of tuck it into your your belt. That's girding your loins, so you're you're like ready to move around. Otherwise, you're like tripping over your robe and whatever. So, girding the loins up of of your mind is is what he's saying. So, um, it's kind of like. Uh, what God says to the Israelites uh, when they're about to leave Egypt and go to the promised land, they are eating the Passover meal, and he tells them, here's how you're supposed to eat the Passover meal, with your loins girded, like you're ready to go. So our, our modern, maybe, version of that is rolling up your shirt sleeves, right? So rolling up the shirt sleeves of your mind, girding your loins, uh, the literal... Translation of that and being sober-minded. Sober-minded is uh, maybe your translation says self-controlled. Mm -hmm. Peter uses sober-minded um, a couple of other times in this book, and it's used a couple of other times in the New Testament, First Thessalonians. It's not just this idea like when we think sober, we think um, not inebriated, um, and maybe that's included here. But in the context, it seems to be much more than just don't be drunk. Uh, being sober-minded here and a couple other times and in 1 Thessalonians has everything to do with a, a mindset that we have to be ready. Don't be asleep, don't be slow to react, but ready. To be sober-minded is thinking clearly about this life and hope of the next. Mm -hmm. So having that perspective, a clear perspective. Thinking clearly about this life and hope of the next. And then what are we to do with that set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. If we don't get our minds around the hope that we have at the revelation of Jesus, which we talked about last week, if we can't like really let that sink in as a part of our thoughts um, and, and set our hope fully on that, then what comes in the rest of the book of Peter is going to be impossible. 
because he's going to say, like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, he's going to say, we're going to suffer as we continue to do good. Those types of things are impossible um, to do correctly if we don't have our hope fixed fully on the grace that will be brought in Jesus Christ. So, and just to be clear, uh, again, you may have heard this before, but hope in the Bible, when it, when it says hope, like in the New Testament specifically, and in the Old Testament, it's not this idea that, that we think of as hope. Hope in the Bible is certain. It's we are confident that it's going to happen. So it's not hope like we have. I hope the Kings win the Stanley Cup. Um, because no matter how much you hope for that, they didn't. Uh, they did. <laughs> and, next year, and next year, we're going to hope, for Cameron is anyway, that they do it again. And maybe that hope works out, maybe that hope doesn't work out, but a biblical hope is that we are certain that something's going to happen. We have hope for our future salvation. So um, that's, again, just to point back to last week, some of our hope we read in in verse 3, it's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's something that's happened in the past that we say, that actually happened, and so that gives us some certainty and confidence of the future that we have. So I'll come back to just how I was, what I was kind of setting up here. Why should we bother to obey? What's the motivation behind our obedience? Well, first of all, and this is just number one, we obey because we have hope. We have a new perspective now that we've been born again and with our minds set on the future revelation of Jesus Christ and the glory and the inheritance that that includes, we don't subscribe anymore to YOLO, right? <laughs> I just learned what YOLO was like a few months ago. But you only live once, right? Just this attitude um, that... Um, yeah, this attitude that, hey, I, I, you only live once, so I'm going to do whatever I want to now. And I'm going to make it good right now. Um, that's... That's the opposite, really, yeah, of how we are to live. Right. When, because we have hope of something that's better. We don't do what we want now thinking that this is the best thing. Yeah. We have something better to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we, we obey then and we live as, as we ought to here because of that hope, not just however we want. So in uh, verse 14, he starts getting a little bit more practical. As, as obedient children, he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former Ignorance. So I'll ask you guys a question, and you don't don't answer this out loud. What were the passions um, of your former ignorance before uh, before you knew Christ, before you were born again? What were some of the passions of your former ignorance? Just like think about that for just a second. Some things would have come to mind to these first century readers of this letter. Now, I want you to notice he called those passions that you're thinking about, he calls them of your former ignorance. Mm. They were ignorant to, to pursue those passions that was of your former ignorance. So we don't look back in, in the past to the passions that we lived in formerly, but we look forward, sober-minded, thinking clearly of this life and hope of the next with a new way to live. And how is that way to live? Well, he goes on to describe in verse 15. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy 
in all your conduct, since it is written, and he quotes uh, Leviticus, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Like I said at the beginning, I feel like culture in the last 20 years is on like a red alert for, for legalism. And I agree that we need to avoid legalism like the plague. Um, Jesus speaks very blatantly against the Pharisees about the worthlessness of a, of a type of religion that they had, which was uh, legalistic. And so is the best way, though, to answer this concern of legalism to go the other way and to just kind of let things slip by and let things go by and say, well, sin really isn't all that important. We don't need to take it seriously. And if that's what you think is the only other direction, then you're not understanding legalism correctly. So legalism is when we call someone else to do something that God hasn't called us to do or to be. So scripture says uh, in a couple of places not to be drunk with wine. So for me then to look at somebody else and say, then if you like really want to please God, then you shouldn't let alcohol even touch your lips because that's going to be, that's going to be even better. Or, or scripture says, hey, we shouldn't forsake assembling with other believers. Well, if you really want to be good, then I'm going to add on top of it and say, you better come to church every Sunday and every Wednesday night. Like, I'm going to impose that upon you. Or um, scripture says we shouldn't look at anyone with lust. Well, I'm going to make it, I've made an even better rule in my life. I'm not going to watch any movies unless they're rated G, and I'm going to say the same thing with you. Only G movies from now on. Okay, Cameron? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not saying that, that those are necessarily bad ideas. Um, but what the legalist does is it holds people to a higher, a higher quote, standard than what God has given to us. It's a standard that they've created. That's legalism. So um, the alternative to that isn't to run away and say, oh, there's no standards that we need to live by, because he's told us through Peter, be holy. That's quite a standard. That's, a, that's the highest standard, holy, pure, blameless, uh, perfect. Holiness is the highest standard. It's based on who God is, his character. He's holy, and he says we're supposed to be like God in that way. We can't add more standards on top of God's holiness. He's, he's given us how he uh, desires for us to, to be imitators of, of his character here in this world. So while we can't tell to each other, you need to pray at certain times of the day, you need to fast twice a week, you need to go street witnessing on Saturday morning, you need to be at a church service on Sunday, um, what we can do is say we're, we're calling each other to, to the highest standard, uh, which is God's word, and, and he, he calls us to that, okay? So legalism is sin, I would say, but we don't run the other way and say live like you want, because that's also sin, and instead we say, well, what's, what's the character of God? And we conform ourselves to that. We don't conform ourselves to the passions of our former ignorance. We conform ourselves to the character of God, which is holy. So, and he says, in all your conduct, we are to be holy. So here's the second reason why we should bother to obey. Not only we obey because we have hope, but we obey because God has called us to be holy. He's clearly called us to. He says uh, in, in the book of Leviticus that Peter quotes here, there's, I think it's mentioned a couple times there, maybe in Deuteronomy. So God tells his people 3,000-ish years ago, you're supposed to be holy. 
and, and, and you are holy. And he tells his, his church through Peter a couple thousand years ago, be holy as I am holy. And that we see, oh, this is a pattern. This is what God wants from his people is, is this holiness in all our conduct. So we obey because God has called us to be holy. And then verse 17, if you, if you call on him as father, I'll stop there for just a second. Look at also verse 14, back a couple verses. As obedient children, father, children. There's a little bit of this, this setting up of a, of a, of a parent-child relationship, of a father-son relationship, or a father-daughter relationship. Um, even back in the language that he uses in one three, when he talks about being born again, and he'll mention in a few verses uh, that we'll talk about in a couple weeks, born again, even, we're, we're born again into this new life, and we have a, a, a new father. Other parts of Scripture talk about we've been adopted by him. And so we have this father-son, father-daughter relationship with him. You've heard the saying, uh, like father, like son, right? And that's kind of some of what he's going for here. So a, a question to you. Um, do you, like with your earthly father, if you, if you grew up with a, a father, or at least a father figure, did you obey your father because you wanted to or because you had to? Maybe both. sometimes, yeah, sometimes both, right? So depending on, the, I mean, if you just had a really magnificent father, then a lot of times you just want to please him, you want to do the right thing, you want to, and so, and other times it's like, well, he's, He's dad, and so I'm unnecessarily going to do that. I think of, um, like if you think through uh, adoption, we knew, Mary Beth and I, uh, in Tennessee, this family that adopted a little girl from, I think, India it was. And this little girl, like, had a 24-7 smile on her face because the environment, the, the orphanage that she'd been pulled out of was just poor, and she was having a a really lame life there. Mm -hmm. And now she was brought into this wonderful, just God-honoring, lovely family. And so she was constantly, at least whenever I saw her, was constantly happy. And I would say that some of her obedience to her parents, to her father, was just out of gratitude. I'm so, I'm so happy that, that they have taken me into their family and that this is my new uh, context. So sometimes that's the case. But sometimes you go up to your dad and you say, well, why do I have to do this? And he says, because I said so. Because I said so. So it's, it's kind of a little bit of both. And in the, in the, the culture of the day, it was um, a, more of kind of a shame-honor culture. So not only do you do what you're supposed to because it's right or it's wrong, but you do what you're supposed to because it brings honor or, sh or shame to somebody. And you want to honor your father mm -hmm. or you want to revere your father. In fact, right after the Leviticus 19 passage, Be holy for I am holy, he talks about revering your mother and your father. I don't know if that's what why Peter kind of goes on that trail of thought. But um, so so thirdly, we obey because God is our Father, and we're obedient children. Verse um, seventeen continues: If you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. So not only is he our father, but he is a judge. Let me ask you guys this question. Will God judge the deeds of believers? 
Yeah. So that, it sounds it's kind of like a trick. It sounds like a trick question, but there's other places in Scripture. Romans two, First um, Corinthians three says each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. And it says that God is impartial. So not only does He detest the sin and and judge the sin of of those who don't know him, but in the same way, he, he judges the sin and the evil deeds of those who do know him. Now, let me ask you this. Will God condemn his children for their evil deeds? No. No. So, Romans 8, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, um, and, and he says in this passage, in just a second later, you were ransomed from this way of life. So, there's, mm-hmm. kind of, there's a difference between the, the judgment of God and the sentencing of, of God, but that God will judge each one's deeds impartially, it says here and other places, meaning you don't get a free pass just to do whatever you want. And, and God judges and, and, and hates and is against sin, regardless of if it's yours or a non-believer's sin. Um, God has a, a judgment of that sin, and he's going to call out these deeds for what they were when you stand before him. And for believers now, this is going to be a chance for us once again to fall on our face in thankfulness and praise that our sentence now isn't placed, isn't something that we have to carry out, but it's something that Jesus carries out on the cross. But does it mean that we live in any way that we want now? No. It says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Have any of you ever been um, to the Grand Canyon uh, Skywalk? Any of you done that little like uh, glass walk that goes around? Um, so if you don't know what it is, it's like, and I haven't been there either, but I've read about it, seen pictures. You walk up to the edge of the Grand Canyon, and then there's this um, like horseshoe-shaped walkway that you walk out on, and it's got like glass, real thick glass bottom. You just walk out, and it goes 70 feet like out over the Colorado River. And so you're like, you're standing on it, and you're looking down literally 4,000 feet under you. And um, so, yeah, it, it's fairly new. I like it. It's fairly new in the last Yeah. So they spent, they spent $30 million um, to, to engineer that thing and to build it right. So people can be confident when they go out. I hope um, that, um, that it's going to hold them. But it's so it's so close to danger, right? Like it's it's like it's safe, but it's so close to danger. So when so when it's your turn to go out onto that that path, that glass path, what is your attitude when you walk out on it? Is it I'm just going to go hopping and skipping and jumping up and down with tap shoes on and just nailing that glass? No, like you walk out, even though you know it's going to hold you. They spent millions of dollars on it. You walk out very carefully because you understand the the significance of how far this drop is. You've probably read the the sign, and you're not going to just do stupid things when you're out on this little bridge because it's a it's a dangerous place to be. Even though it's going to hold you, you're 100 percent certain. Um, it's you, you recognize when you walk out on it the the the, the magnitude and the significance of it. I'd say there's there's a similarity to us with the Lord. We know that we will we will be saved. We know that we don't live in fear of His wrath, but at the same time we we, we tread carefully because He's God. It's like we're walking on a 
on a volcano or something. Like this is this is big. We're safe, but this is big. And so, fourth reason: not only do we obey because God's Father, but we obey because He's He's Judge. He's the impartial Judge. Second Corinthians seven says, "Since we have these promises," and He's talking about that, that God dwells with His people as their, as His temple. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So it's right to view God as, as a loving father. In fact, he has more fatherly love for us than, than we can even fathom, I'm certain. And I don't want to diminish in your mind the fact that he is a, a loving, good dad. But he also sees perfectly and he sees not only our actions, but he sees our hearts. And sometimes our earthly dads get things wrong and maybe lie to them and you can get away with it and they give you the benefit of the doubt, but, but not God. He can't. He sees everything perfectly. He judges everything perfectly, impartially. He judges all according to each one's deeds. So you say, why, why would I bother to obey? Don't I have salvation coming? I'm good, right? And I'd say, you don't realize what you're walking out onto that's that's ignorant to be walking in the face of the Lord that way um, verse 18 so it says conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers a couple things here um, first the way that you used to do things before knowing Jesus, this enslavement to sin, continually letting yourself down, trying to do things right, you're not able to do it, those, those ways were futile, he says. I looked up the dictionary definition of futile, and it means this, incapable of producing any useful result, or pointless. Now, the, what he says here, this, this idea of um, the ways inherited from your forefathers, in the time... Uh, with kind of that, that phrase or word there, that, that would be, that's always spoken of in the culture in, in, a, in a positive way. The ways inherited from your forefathers. It's like the, the honor of your forefathers and the legacy that they've left. And it always would have been talking in, in a very positive light. But Peter uses it completely opposite of that. So it would stand out more than maybe it does to us. But he says, no, those, those ways of your forefathers were futile. Or like he says back in verse um, 14, the passions of your former ignorance. And so, um, I guess the, the fifth reason to obey would be we obey because to do otherwise is stupid. <laughs> um, there's probably a lot to be said about that, but we have been ransomed from those things or this old way of life that had been passed to us. The word ransom means liberated or set free from you. You've been set free from that rescued out of that useless way of life. And ransom carries with it this idea of purchasing somebody out of slavery. And so we were, it's like he's saying you're purchased out of your slavery to ignorance and purchased out of your slavery to futility. And what was the purchase price? What did the father pay so that we um, would become children of hope who would walk obediently to him? He goes on and just to kind of finish up here in verse 19, um, and I don't want to, I don't want to cheapen this. So I just decided not to make a lot of comment about it, but just to read it again. So I'm going to read from 13 uh, to 19, 
and uh, just so you can kind of get the, the tone of what's going on here. Um, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with, with perishable things. He didn't, he didn't buy you out of that with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I don't know if you see what what Peter does here. He he grabs um, maybe the epitome of what we'd say value is here on this earth, silver and gold, right? He kind of grabs at that and says, we, we were ransomed or purchased out of our futility with something not so worthless as silver and gold, not so temporary, not so invaluable or unvaluable as silver and gold. That stuff is short-lasting. But he says that wouldn't be nearly valuable enough. The cost for God to, to buy us out of that futility and ignorance back to him was much more than that. And so six, the, the, another reason that we would obey is because we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, he says. The precious blood of Christ. I want to um, just mention again that the trend that I said at the beginning that I sometimes see around me and sometimes I fall into our tendency that Christians have to excuse disobedience or their lack of striving for holiness. And or at the very least, we kind of take our obedience to Christ lightly or we, we treat it flippantly sometimes. And... Um, I just wonder, how, how does that land into this context of being ransomed from those old ways with the precious blood of Christ? If my attitude is, well, it's, it's, obedience to him is not all important. I know that it says in, in that second uh, verse that we are, to, uh, we are chosen by God according to the foreknowledge of God and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. But it's not that... It's not that important. Well, in light of these things, it makes you kind of sick to your stomach to hear that kind of attitude. We obey because we have hope. He's given us hope. He's given us this new perspective. We obey because he's told us clearly in his word, hey, you are to be holy. This is, this is what I'm calling you to. We obey because God is our father and we're his obedient children. We obey because he's an impartial judge seeing the details of all of our deeds. We obey because to do otherwise would be foolishness, ignorance. We've been rescued out of that futility. And we obey because God spent on us the precious blood of his son Jesus. And in light of those things, I would just say, how can we not obey or desire to obey the Lord? Um, I'm going to pray for us that, that we would do that, and then we'll have just a little bit of discussion around that. Father, I confess that um, I have 
oftentimes um, taken uh, your your call on my life, your um, your desire for my obedience um, very lightly, and I have um, just uh, kind of ran out onto that ledge very flippantly. Uh, not recognizing who you are as a God of a Father of love, not recognizing who you are as an all-powerful, perfect, all-seeing judge, forgetting about the salvation that you've provided for me, forgetting of Scripture's clear call in my life, forgetting these things. And Lord, in, in doing that, I'm, I'm, I'm acting like somebody who, who doesn't believe, who doesn't know any better, that, that's ignorant of this truth. And so I, I confess that, Lord. I think many of us have been there. Um, so, Lord, would you help us to uh, take these uh, these words from Peter and other places in Scripture and sink into our hearts the 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 grossness of our of our disobedience? And uh, would you give us a heart of of obeying because we ought to, and because we we get to, we want to, because we love you and your great love for us. Uh, it, it, it compels us to obedience to you. And uh, would you help us in that, Lord? Uh, forgive us when we fail in that. And um, would you make us uh, people that truly do seek uh, to obey Jesus as we have been sprinkled by his blood um, and, and called to a life of holiness? Help us in this, God. Amen. Amen.